Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. This is Laura Gregg, and I am joined with my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. Uh, Hello, Laura. Happy New Year. Glad we're uh, still on the air with our podcast because I think today especially is going to be a really fun one with a topic that I think advisors are going to really appreciate. I agree with you. And so on the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their business while deepening client relationships. And we will be talking about a way to grow your business today. And we are thrilled to welcome Kristen Luke to the podcast. Kristen is president of Kaleido Creative Studio, a marketing agency specializing in helping RIAs promote their businesses through a niche approach. There's been so much talk about the importance of creating a niche practice, but I know from speaking to so many advisors that many of them don't necessarily believe there is true value in excluding potential clients, especially big ones, that don't fit that niche. So Kristen, welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you here today to talk about this very important topic. Well, thank you, Laura and David, for having me. I'm really excited to be here to talk about my favorite topic, which is niche marketing. Well, I am very excited about this conversation today, as you can tell at the top of the show. And But before we get started, Kristen, take a couple of minutes to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background in the industry, and why you built a company focused on helping advisors build niche businesses. All right. Well, I started in this industry about 16 years ago. I fell into my first real marketing job, which was working for a duly registered RIA in San Diego, which is where I'm based. And so after about three years there of doing radio shows and workshops and client events, I decided that I was going to go out on my own and do this for other independent advisors. Mm. So for the last 13 years, uh, I have been working with independent advisors to market themselves using all different types of marketing strategies. I've literally done it all. So I think we'll talk about this a little bit more coming up is that a couple of years ago, I just decided that there is a really easy way to market advisors and that's to do niche marketing. And that's when I focused my practice on that area. So thank you, Kristen. And I noticed you and I say niche and David says niche. So, so which I'm is it? Sure. Which is it? Come on. <laughs> They're both correct. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I always wonder, and I say it different all the time myself. So anyhow, two <laughs> versus one today. So anyhow, uh, Kristen. I like I re- niche because it rhymes with rich. And so you can do all sorts of word plays. <laughs> Very that. nice. I love that. I love that. So it's niche from this point forward. <laughs> uh, when we were planning for this podcast, Kristen, I remember you mentioning to me that you, your business used to serve advisors of all types, those were who were generalists. But a while back, you decided uh, to only serve advisors that are creating a niche practice or are interested in building a niche practice. So you've told us you're passionate about it. 
by changing your business model. That's a great proof point. But I'm wondering if you could talk to us about the inflection point that made you decide to make that shift of your own. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of niche marketing, and I've always seen a lot of success with advisors who are focused on a niche. But working with the with different financial advisors, they usually build their business on referrals for word of mouth marketing. And so I was always there to support them. But really in 2020, really March 2020, when the pandemic hit, it really was a turning point. What happened is, is that obviously you couldn't do a lot of in-person marketing at that point. And so all these, all these advisors who are doing in-person marketing, like the workshops, their client events, they all had to switch to digital channels. And so with that, I was working with a lot of firms before that in the digital channels. But once we had this huge flood of new advisors on there, it, never, it was no longer really an opportunity for smaller independent firms to be able to stand out. And I realized you're going to keep playing this game where you're always trying to stay ahead of everybody else on the latest marketing technology if you're going to be a generalist. And the, you know, the, the best Google app, how can you use the Google algorithms or how can you use social media? And it's really exhausting. And it's also not a great way to build a business if you're always having to stay up on trends. So I looked at my clients that were doing really well at that time. And I said, I really, the clients that are doing the best for me, the advisors are the ones that are in a niche. They've been focused on this. They're able to get their message out in a saturated marketplace, like digital channels. And I made a decision at that point that that's the only kinds of firms I wanted to work with. Now, a lot of firms are very afraid of doing niche marketing. So this is not, hasn't been necessarily an easy transition, but the ones that have made that transition are always very successful at it. And I'm, I'm curious, Kristen, um, so you were serving generalists. Did you have any generalist clients that you let go of as you made that transition or did you keep on legacy clients? Yeah, we're still working with legacy clients. So I am still very much aware of what general marketing is. But going forward, since 2020 or 2020, we've really only been focusing on a niche. And there are, I, I don't want to say that everyone has to niche. There are some firms that we work with that do really well as generalists. They're usually in smaller, close-knit communities. So maybe communities with about 300,000 people, um, because it's so much easier to get their name out and build reputation. And there may not be enough population there to actually do a niche. So it doesn't have to fit everybody, but for most firms that I work with, if they're in a crowded marketplace, if they want to work fully remote, those are the kinds of firms that really want, that should, that benefit from doing a niche market. So I think many of us think of a niche practice in different ways. I, I know I've talked to some advisors that tell me their niche is Gen X or women or divorced women, um, where others are, are much more focused on surgeons at a specific hospital or tech employees at a specific firm. Can you talk to us and help us define what exactly a niche is? Are there parameters we should be thinking of so that that's, it's not too big, not too small? Yes. The way I think about a niche market is it's a segment of a population who all share one common problem that you can solve. So Gen X or women really aren't niches. That's a huge segment of the population. And with that population, they all have different financial issues. So let's say women, right? I'm a single woman business owner. I don't have the same issues as someone who is a woman who's 60, who 
has not been in charge of her finances and all of a sudden is in charge of them because she lost her husband. Those are two completely different scenarios. And so that is not a niche. You're not solving the same problem. But when you're talking about more specifics like surgeons or like tech professionals or even women going through a divorce, they all have a similar problem, which for the surgeons and tech professionals, it's usually around something about their compensation. They usually have compensation or complicated compensation situations for divorcing women. Um, if you're doing working with them during the divorce period, it's about making sure they get their fair share. If it's afterwards, it's about helping them rebuild their life um, with their, their new scenario. So that's how I think about a niche is all of those people in that segment need to have the same problem for it to be a niche. So Kristen, are you saying that if I was going after suntan people in San Diego, that that wouldn't be my niche? <laughs> a very good niche. <laughs> It'd be no, very I'm, also, <laughs> I'm also sad because it was eight degrees this morning in Chicago, and I'm probably talking to somebody who didn't hasn't seen eight degrees in a while. So uh, Kristen, thank you for coming on the show because it's actually warmed my heart. So <laughs> if I'm an advisor... And I'm thinking of shifting my business from a generous model to a niche model. What's the first thing they should do? And I'm guessing there's a lot to consider and research. And how do you pick a niche? Yeah, that's a very common question I get. And it does take some soul searching. It's not something that someone can tell you what the answer is. And I do get that question a lot. Like, what's the best yeah. niche? Well, it really depends on who you are and what your situation mm-hmm. is. So the first thing I do is I say, okay, well, what are you passionate about? Like, what type of clients do you like working with? What would you do if you weren't an advisor? What do you do? Where, where, you know, where do you volunteer? What really interests you? That's a really good place to start. Mm. And then we look at like aptitude. So what are you naturally good at? What kind of experience, either current or past experience, or even life experience could you bring to the table. So a lot of times there's independent advisors out there who are career changers. So looking back at previous careers and what they did before they became an advisor, um, that can really help guide them towards a niche. And then you really want to think about profitability. That's the most important one, in my opinion. So who are your clients now that are happy to pay your fees? Who's profitable? Who are the ones that, who are the types of clients that you attract naturally? So if you look at, if you brainstorm that, your passion, your aptitude, and what's profitable, then if you can find an intersection between all three of those, then you're going to be, and you're going to have a really good niche. So if they're not looking at the profitability, they should probably pronounce it niche because that doesn't rhyme with rich. <laughs> <Is> that right? <laughs> there you go. I like that. Yes. <laughs> so is it imperative that the advisor be a member of the niche they wish to serve? No, it's not actually, but you have to have access to that niche. So a a good example of this is I have a client that I'm working with and he's working with real estate agents. He's obviously not a real estate agent, but his wife is. And so he has access to that community. And same with me when I started my niche and with financial advisors, because I'd been working for a firm before I had access to be able to go to associations and networking events. So you have to have some sort of access to that group, but you don't have to be a member of it. Um, But the more experience that you have with it, whether it's professionally or personally, the more likely you're going to be able to integrate and really make track, get traction with it. I would imagine it's just more fun in life if you've chosen a niche that you're part of. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would think so. And so an advisor chooses a niche, how can they be sure it will be lucrative? And how do you help them evaluate the true market size and potential value of that niche? Yeah, what we do is we have a series of questions that we have advisors think about. So one of the first things you want to think about is pain. Is your niche feeling real pain regarding their problem? Sometimes people come to me and they say, oh, my niche just has too much money. And that's their pain point. Well, mm, that's probably not their pain point. (laughs) (laughs) So you want something and the more painful it is, the more likely they're going to hire you. So you do want to make sure that there is some sort of pain point there. You want to make sure we talked about this already, but that they are able to pay your fees. So do they have purchasing power? Are they easy to target? So this is a, an important one because you have to be able to find your niche. And so like you were talking about tan people in San Diego, I don't know, I guess you could go sit at the beach and just start marketing to them there, <laughs> but you couldn't buy a list of tan people in San Diego. Exactly. So even if you're not planning on doing direct marketing and buying a list, if you could buy a list, it's going to make your marketing a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure they're easy to target. Generally, you want to make sure that your market is growing. Uh, you don't want to be in a, in a market that is decreasing in size. How urgent do, does your niche need to solve their problem? So urgency is really a, a key as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so people dealing with divorce or widows, like those kind of things are, can be really good because there is a sense of urgency from those people. Then you want to think about complexity. Like how complex is this a, the problem that you're solving? Um, because if it's more complex, then you're more likely to be able to dominate that market because there's not going to be other advisors trying to compete. They won't have the knowledge and expertise to really compete with you. Sorry, I have a long list here, but I want to make sure everyone gets uh, That's the, all right. the information this they want. That's what you're good at. I'm glad you're good at yep. <laughs> you want to think about dominance. Is it possible to dominate your niche? And, because there's just not much competition. So that's why pre-retiree is not really a good niche. Everyone's doing mm-hmm. that. And then you want to think about really, are you suitable for this? So do you have the personal and professional experience to work with this niche? Do you have credibility working with this niche? Do you have access to this niche through your existing network and opportunities? And do you have the skills and knowledge to serve this niche? So if you take all of those and analyze your niche, you don't have to have all of these. But if you have a lot of them, then you're probably in pretty good shape. So once you've decided on a niche and you've decided that it would be profitable and you're passionate about it, what's the best way to reach those people? Oh, wow. Well, it might be too big, <laughs> but you know, do your homepage of your website or like what, what's the low hanging fruit in, in terms of getting the word out there that you serve that, that group of people? Right. Really the two things that everyone should do, no matter what your niche is, is one, build a website or at least a landing page on your website specific to that niche and speak directly to their problems that they're facing. I see a lot of times that people make the mistake of trying to be too generic. And it's really important that you're speaking directly to their problems and using language that they would use. So creating a landing page on your website, if you're not ready to redo your entire website around that niche. And then the next thing is really just going and talking to people in your niche. So do you have clients that are, that fall into that right now? Do you have centers of influence that can make introductions or that at least have experience working with that niche? Because the more you talk to people about what you're doing, there's going to be opportunities that come up. Um, And there might be centers of influence too, that you never thought about. So I work with a client who 
has a specialty in uh, special needs for mental health issues. And so his centers of influence are actually leaders of the nonprofit associations because they're very familiar with the people in, um, in that niche, what their issues are, and they're able to refer or at least make introductions for him. So those are really the two things that everyone should do. Have something on your website and then start talking to everybody in your niche. After that, it really depends. Some people will do presentations at large conferences. Some people will do uh, social media. It really depends on where your audience is because that's where you're going to be. Advisors are so used to, in this industry, casting as wide of a net as possible. And it was out of necessity, right, when they first got in the business. However, once somebody makes the decision that they do want to change their business model, their strategy, and, and become a niche practice, do you ever struggle with getting them over the concerns? Like if somebody comes from outside that niche, the turning away business, uh, is, is that a struggle? And what do you counsel them to do? It is a concern that advisors have. I don't think it's something that actually happens a lot. So when you're working, when you're transitioning over to a niche, you don't have to start turning away other business. You can take whatever business you want. You can keep working with the clients that you want. All you're doing is you're saying, I am focusing all my energy, my time, my money on this niche going forward. But if you get a referral from one of your clients and they're a good client, potential client, then you can keep working with them. It's really not um, an issue. You will find though, if you really succeed within your niche, that eventually you will only want to work with those types of clients because they are the easiest ones to serve because you know that them and their problems so well. So you'll find at some point, you don't want to work with all these other clients and that you probably need to come up with a transition plan. Uh, One thing I do see is that people are worried about changing their website because they think they might get a potential referral who goes to their site. And then they see on the site that they only work with this niche. So what I recommend in those situations is just have a landing page somewhere else on your website where you put in your navigation and your menu bar, you know, what that niche name is. So it could be women in divorce. And then that way you're not changing your whole website you're not alienating your existing clients. You're not potentially turning away referral business, but you are still having that marketing asset of the landing page there for your niche. So it's not a great long-term strategy uh, because you do eventually want to make that full commitment, but for a couple of years, that can work really well while you're trying to build up your niche market. So those are great ideas. I'm wondering for for those advisors that they have committed to this, they want to be the advisor in San Diego for the tan people that are <laughs> 20, you know, nine through 31 and whatever. Um, but that's a and- niche market, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Not a niche. That's, that's true. 70 to 75, I should say. But is, is there a standard time frame that you've experienced for an advisory business to make that pivot into a niche practice from a generalist practice? And and when you're committed to the, just that niche, what, what do you counsel your advisor clients to do with their legacy clients? Yeah, there's not really a set time frame because it really depends on how appropriate um, a niche is for, for an advisor. So 
if they are already around or in this niche and they know hundreds of people in it, they're going to be able to make that change very quickly. If it's one that's a little bit more outside of their network or just people that they've generally worked with, then that's going to take longer. So I can't really say that there's like a set timeline. Do find though, when people are focused on one market, they will see results faster than if they just did spreading their general marketing message. So some of it also comes down to just luck and timing. So I was listening to a podcast um, the other day and it was, they were talking about how they spent 10 years working on, on this niche and they were, they were doing okay, but it wasn't exponential growth. But then those companies that they were focused on started making layoffs. So all those employees, all of a sudden were reaching out to this advisor because they had been seeing their marketing for so long. And now they had that pain point, things were painful and urgent. And so they decided to take action. I've also seen this with a client that I've worked with um, who works with tech employees and he worked on it for a couple of years, some traction. Then in 2020, I think it was uh, the IPO market just went crazy. And so now all of a sudden he had all these people that were in his marketing funnel that had millions of dollars because their company went IPO and now they were reaching out to him. So some of it has to do with timing, but when you work on a niche, that preparation will pay off. Sometimes you just have to wait a little bit. So I'm working with a client right now and he works in real estate. Real estate agents don't have a lot of pain right now. They're, they're raking in the money. So we're assuming that's going to take a couple of years for that really to take off. But I have no doubt that it will once there's more pain point there. Uh, I think you asked about what do you do with your legacy clients? I didn't answer that yet. Um, you keep serving them. You don't do anything differently. Uh, at some point, maybe you want to make the change to just focus on your niche practice. And at that point, you can have a transition plan. But in the meantime, just keep serving them like you always have. So I've been on your website. And one of the things I always like to look and see is business books that people have read in a particular year. And I noticed that you put down five. And I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to your resources that are available and uh, see the books that she has read. I was wondering if there's one of those five books that you liked the best last year. Oh, well, I actually read 28 books last year. Oh, my God. <laughs> my goal is 36 this year. So wow. I read all of it. Um, there is one on there and I don't have it in front of me. It's about niche marketing and it's actually yep. about from a, an attorney and talking about his experience doing it. I think that was oh, a really good case study about how you can form an expertise and really grow your business. So yeah. I enjoyed that one. Um, it's not the most professionally written, but it, it definitely comes from the heart and has some really good ideas. Um, the other one, uh, Story Brand, I, yep. is a uh, really good I one. I love that book. I yeah. read that. So yeah. I think that pairs really well when you have a niche is to really understand what the problems are that your niche is facing and how mm -hmm. to communicate that. So I would say those are the two books. If you read the one about niche marketing and then paired that with story brand about how to message your business, you would be at a, you'd have a good start to really um, marketing to a niche. So how do you find the time to do anything but read? I mean, <laughs> 36, that's unbelievable. Audiobooks. I go for a lot of walks. And yeah, to I understand that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear that. So we like to conclude each episode with some actual ideas. And so first I'm going to ask, 
share with us some easy first steps that advisors can take to find their niche, and then tell us a success story of an advisor that went out and they made the shift and realized some strong results. Yeah. So the first thing you want to do is brainstorm potential niche markets. And so we actually have a free course on our website that helps you with that. Um, And it goes over the passion, aptitude, and profitability that I talked about earlier in helping, giving you the questions that you need to answer to figure out what your niche is. And then you also need to really identify or evaluate your niche and make sure that it is going to be something that is feasible uh, using the questions I talked about earlier in this podcast. So I recommend you re-listen to that section. Mm -hmm. Um, Then from there, really get the messaging down. Uh, You can do that. Uh, I would definitely recommend hiring somebody. StoryBrand is a really good option. They have free workshops or not free workshops. They have paid workshops uh, throughout the year that you can go to and really develop what your message is. We also help people with that as well. Um, And then from there, put up a landing page on your website that talks about your niche. And then go talk to everyone about it. <laughs> You'll be surprised by how many opportunities that come up just from telling people about what you're doing. And that'll really guide what your next marketing uh, tactics are going to be. And do you have some, an example for us of an advisor? Yeah. So I've been working with this advisor for a few years now, and he works with tech professionals in Silicon Valley. Mm. And he made that shift about in 2019. So before that, in 2018, he generated about 33 inquiries that year. And he's about 100 million in assets under management, just to give you an idea of size. So he's got a couple of staff uh, members, but he's mostly the one responsible for bringing in clients. So in 2019, that was the first year he focused on a niche. He went from 33 inquiries to 77 inquiries. And then this last year, he actually went to 148. And in fact, He's having, he has so many leads now, he's trying to figure out how to scale his business better. And that's actually his big issue. We don't talk a lot about marketing anymore because he's like, I don't know how to handle all of this. So, um, so it's been very exciting to see that. And I know he's, it was a little bit of a struggle, not a struggle, but a mental struggle to say, I'm going to shift to this, this niche. And he's been doing a lot of what we were talking about, like just having a landing page on the website, not doing the whole website yet. And now he's like ready. He's like, okay, this is it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to move forward with my whole business being around this because it's already proven to be so successful. Wow. That didn't take long, especially during a time of COVID. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. really good for him. Well, Kristen, you have such great information and I would encourage everyone to go to the website and it has been a real delight to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. If you're an advisor and like to know more about Kaleido Creative Studio, just visit kaleidocreative.com. That's K-A-L-E-I-D-O creative.com. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other Flex Shows podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, 
charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.